This morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 5, starting with verse 21. Now the last time we saw Jesus, really two men accosted him. They were demon-possessed men. They had demons in them. Uh, The demons referred to themselves as legion, which could have been in the thousands. Uh, It's it's something that's hard for us to comprehend because it's the spiritual realm. How many demons can fit into one person? Who knows? I mean, this is something that's out of our dimension. The scripture gives us a little bit of an insight, but we're not told a whole lot about that. However, Jesus casts out the demons, sends them into the swine. It's a, if you've been a Christian for a while, you know the account, uh, and they go off the cliff. Ending that issue, the men are freed, they're delivered, and uh, they go back to having a normal life. And some questions came up. Uh, we talked about a few things after service. Uh, questions came up because a lot of people are interested in, I guess, what you could say, demonology or the, the underworld and, and what, what it's like and how it affects us and things to that nature. There's actually a, uh, a doctrine out there. It's called deliverance, where almost there's a demon behind every rock. And that's, I think it's dangerous because what happens is you get to blame now the demon for the sins in your life. You know, you have the demon of pornography that has to be cast out or the demon of alcohol or the demon of drugs. And basically, you could say the devil made me do it. I mean, that would be great when I sinned if I could just look in God and go, it wasn't me. He made me do it. Look, see him? See him? He's, he's, he's taunting me. He's bothering me. The other issue that comes up is, and this is why everything has to be tested with Scripture, because if you're a believer, you can't be inhabited by a demon. The Holy Spirit, a demon cannot get in there. Because you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. You know, you're, you've been saved. You've been sealed. So you can be annoyed. You can be tempted. But you can't be possessed. So that's another issue that they have to deal with. After the sermon, my wife and I were talking. Um, this whole demonology and the demon into the pigs. And we actually have, most of our animals are well behaved. But we do have this one cat. <laughs> She comes up to you, she purrs, she rubs against you, she really sets you up, she disarms you, and then she bites you. <laughs> so we're still, the jury's out on that issue, but it has nothing to do with today's sermon. Um, but this morning we're going to be speaking about uh, what, Je- what Jesus does with two individuals. Now, there's Jairus and the woman with the flow of blood, and they're inextricably linked. They're intertwined, okay? So the because they're intertwined, their accounts and the, how they affect each other in this nexus point with Jesus, uh, I'm going to divide the sermon up into two Sundays because it's that good. I'm not going to rush through it. Um, I'm going to give you a little bit of the background today, and then next Sunday, hopefully, I'll make sense of it all, and we'll put it all together. So it's very exciting. Now, I'm going to use a word that we may find offensive. I'm going to use the word a somebody in society and a nobody in society. Now, remember, they're not, my, not my words. It's not what I believe. And it's really sad in human nature that no matter what culture you go to, we, we automatically think of the Hindu caste system. But doesn't it happen in the United States? From state to state, society decides who's on the lower end of the pecking order and who's on the upper echelon. Very sad. As a matter of fact, in God's law, he brought the laws to the children of Israel so they wouldn't do that to each other. And even they wouldn't even do that to their strangers, the foreigners that would come in to their uh, you know, their fellowship. So I'm going to use those words, again, not my words, but again, this is where, even in American culture in 2014, people still do that to each other. So the issue here is that you have Jairus. And let me talk to you about the differences between Jairus and this woman. 
as a somebody. Well, Jairus was a man. Obviously, the woman was a woman. (laughs) That's an easy one. Jairus had a name in the scripture, Jairus, but we don't know the woman's name. Jairus probably had some wealth as a synagogue leader, and the woman was poor because of becoming bankrupt because of her physical ailments. Jairus might have lived okay or in good health for 12 years. This woman suffered with a a very difficult, incurable disease for 12 years. However, what's really interesting is that Jairus goes to Jesus first, but Jesus heals the woman first. And the title of the message is that nobodies and somebodies loved equally. And this is how God works. He's so fair. He's not impressed by our wealth. He's not impressed by our status, by our skin color, by our education. God looks at the heart, the Bible says. So we're going to see how he ministers to two of these folks from very different ends of the spectrum and completely fair as we would expect from a holy and loving God. So let's jump in. Verse 21, it says, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. So Jesus comes into another town. By now, at this point in his ministry, everybody knows who Jesus is. Here's the miracle worker. The crowds come, not always with good intentions. Somebody just wants a free meal. Somebody just wants to hear something that entertains them. Somebody wants to see a miracle. Um, And you see that in the world today. A lot of people are kind of interested or curious about Jesus, but they don't necessarily want to make him their Lord and Savior. But one of the first things that happens is, Jairus comes to him, and he's a synagogue leader. So he has a high position in society. Very unusual for this man, goes before Jesus, bends down, prostrates himself, and begs him to help because his 12-year-old daughter is dying, who probably means the world to him. Now, we don't know what Jairus' demeanor was before this encounter, but a tragedy has brought him to the Lord. And today... Often tragedy will bring us to the Lord. Many in this room might have gotten saved through tragedy. And you had nowhere else to go. You were desperate. And you went to the Lord. And not only did he help you through your situation, but he saved you. Which is more important. What's the sense, Jesus said, if a man gains the whole world, but loses his own soul? I would say this. What's the sense if we have perfect health for 80 years? And we don't know anything. We don't know the Lord and we die and lose our soul. Not a good thing. Often those that would never step foot in a church or get mad at you when you say, I'll pray for you, all of a sudden become pliable once tragedy strikes. And I've said this before that we may see our loved ones that don't know the Lord go through a tragedy and it it pains us. And we're so tempted to pray them through the tragedy. But that might be the very thing that saves their souls. How many people are familiar with Madeline Murray O'Hare? All right. People say, well, she took prayer out of school. No, that's not what she sued for. She actually sued to take Bible reading out of school. She was an atheist, a a position in this atheist organization, and sadly she was murdered in a brutal fashion and parts of uh, some of her family by others in that movement. 
And they later auctioned off her diary. And one of the things it said in her diary was, it says, will somebody please love me? Now, I would, it would be nice to think that before she passed, she actually cried out to the Lord. Wouldn't that be something? And the Lord would have accepted her if she truly repented. But there are some that allow tragedy to bring them to the foot of the Lord. And there are some that, that just die and they just, um, you know, they, it's, it's just a tragic death because there's no hope. Well, the name Jairus, his name means he enlightens. And boy, is he going to be enlightened about a few things. What we do know is that about his tragedy is that it affected his little daughter. The, the Apostle Luke tells us that it was his only daughter and may have been his only child. And she was 12 years old. Now, the thing that brought him so much joy was about to slip through his fingers. But he knew that Jesus was the only hope. And the only thing I think of is when we, just for a moment, think about what's most precious to you. Sometimes it's like holding on to sand. The tighter we grip, the more it slips through our fingers. You know, we try in this world to hold on to things. Maybe we try to hold on to our health, maybe our wealth, maybe our children. And I tell you, without the Lord, it's futile. Because anything can happen. If you've been a believer for a while, you know that. You've experienced it. And Jairus is experiencing that too. Now, no doubt, Jairus heard the gossip by now. Remember, he was a synagogue leader. And by this time, the religious echelon had, had um, set themselves against Jesus because instead of looking for the truth, they were more concerned that they were losing followers. So no, no doubt he heard the horrible things his peers were saying about Jesus, but he also knew that Jesus was his only hope. And you may be, a co-worker may even make fun of you as a believer. But when tragedy strikes, don't be surprised if they take you aside and they say, you know, you're a believer, you follow this Jesus, you think he could help me. And always be open for something like that. Jairus tells the Lord that he believes he can help his daughter. And the Lord obliges him. As a synagogue ruler, he has a measure of faith, but that faith is going to be put to the test. You understand, brothers and sisters, that faith cannot remain static. It, it, it's, it's always in flux. It's dynamic. As a matter of fact, the Bible is very clear that our faith is like a precious metal. And God's desire for our faith is for it to be tested, to be strengthened. You know, the faith that I have now is much different than the faith I, I exerted when I first came to the Lord. Much different. And hopefully as we spend more time with the Lord, that our faith gets stronger, it becomes more mature. And it doesn't mean that the tragedies that come our way are authored by God. Make sure we don't misunderstand that point. But God can still take that tragedy and use it for good. And I can tell you this, Jeremiah 29, 13. Yes, there's a contextual issue in the Old Testament. But the truth is that if we seek God, now this is important. It says it in the scripture, with a whole heart will be found by God. Some people make a, a cursory or a lackadaisical effort, and they put more effort into the things of the world. But if we truly see God with our whole heart, we'll be found by him. God will never cast away. I've never seen it. God will never cast away anybody that's truly seeking for him. So we're going to learn about, a lot about Jairus, but we're also going to learn a lot about our own lives through this. I just want to kind of break the cadence of the message for a minute and just kind of speak to you. Maybe you walked in for the first time into this church, maybe a friend invited you. Don't wait for a tragedy to come face to face with the Lord. See, you don't have to. 
That's the beauty of God. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever, you, you, are you with somebody in society or are you nobody in society? It really doesn't matter. Are you educated or are you uneducated? Do you have a bad background? Do you have a good background? He gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So that promise is open to you this morning. Don't wait for the tragedy. Have a relationship with the Lord, and then when the tragedy strikes, now you're better prepared to go through those storms in life that we spoke about several Sundays ago. And today, if you come to Christ, <laughs> not to sweeten the pot a little bit, but you can also be baptized if you like. <laughs> but what's amazing here is that you would almost think the story ends here. But here's an interruption. Let's read verse 25. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years, and she had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction, also translated suffering. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you and you say, Who touched me? You think they'd know by now. And Jesus would throw out these things and they'd be like, What are you talking about? I love that. And he looked around to see her who had done this thing, but the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So we, so we see that Jesus and Jairus are on this mission. And all of a sudden, this woman shows up. What do we know about this woman? Well, number one, she had a flow of blood. Some say that maybe it was a wound that just never stopped oozing or weeping. Others say that it was an issue with menstruation. As a matter of fact, there's a general term called DYS, dysmenorrhea, that can affect a lot of things with that cycle. However, some conditions associated with her issue might have been anemia, weakness, and maybe a form of hemophilia. In this hot climate with no wheelchair and no wheelchair accessibility and no bus to take her to Jesus, and a thronging crowd, it probably took her last ounce of strength, energy, and will to make it to Jesus. Think about that. I have to be careful not to eisegete, throw my opinions into Scripture where it doesn't say something, so let's just keep that in mind. But at the same time, I want you to understand what's going on here. I want you to understand this woman was a real person. She was a human being. And a lot of us know the story, but we've never heard it to a point where we could actually identify with her and empathize with her. She wanted the Lord. And I'm going to submit to you that her, her understanding of spirituality, I don't think she was a Bible scholar. She wanted to touch the hem of his garment. I think maybe she was a little confused about the whole, how does it happen? How do I get better? But you know what? The Lord met her where she was at. But she wanted it. And I got to tell you, in, in American Christianity, we have so many resources, so many books, so many possibilities, so many people that are willing to talk to us about the truth of God and, and his word. And sometimes we take it for granted. 
And we shouldn't. We should be like this woman. She didn't have much, but whatever she had, she was going for it. Pastor Paul and I officiated at a funeral uh, this past week, and uh, a, lot of, a lot of scripture. It was a celebration because the woman knew the Lord. And I remember being in the back, and as people were filtering out, you know, they would say things, shake my hand, etc. A woman came up to me trembling, literally, and she held my hand, and I held hers. And she said, that was awesome. I submit to you that it was not me, it was the scripture. But I said to her, do you live local? And she said, yes. I said, you come here anytime you want your questions answered. You know, it's really sad that how many pulpits, how many churches are devoid of the word of God? They're talking about politics. They're talking about a man's opinion. And that's problematic. There's a lot of people, even in our culture, that have never heard the deeper teachings of the scripture. They've never heard the Bible read to them. And that's really sad. So we shouldn't, those of us who have it, we shouldn't take it for granted. Just like we shouldn't take our relationships for granted, we shouldn't take our relationship with God for granted. The second point is that she would have been considered unclean according to Levitical law, if her, especially if her situation was contiguous or it was, there was no reprieve. It was constantly one episode after the other. That must have been a really tough thing for this woman to go through for 12 years. I don't know if she was married. I don't know if she had kids at some point. However, this is what this could mean. When you had any type of blood or you touched something that was unclean or a dead body or for whatever reason, you had to be purified through a a certain type of washing to be now considered ceremonial clean. So this woman may have been prohibited from preparing food for her family or from cleaning or from ministering to her family or even having marital relationships with her husband. It's quite possible that her family, or if she just was married, her husband, completely abandoned her. She came up to Jesus unaided. I don't see anything about anybody else helping her. And she spoke to herself, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. Is it possible that her husband put her out and said, I just can't deal with this anymore? Sound harsh? Do you know that we have laws in New Jersey against elder abuse and abuse against the disabled? People can be harsh. And if we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, we may find it difficult to be in a situation like this. The third point, she was only made worse by the doctors, the scripture says. Has anybody here ever been a victim of medical malpractice? (laughs) I heard a few laughs. (laughs) It only adds literal insult to the injury. And then you start to rue that you got the procedure in the first place. This woman must have been a remarkable woman to continue for 12 years and to do what she did that day. And the fact that she was so desperate and spent all her money on physicians and it made her poor even put her in a lower strata in society because now she was poor. Think about it. The fourth point, she had suffered for 12 long years. And when did it start? About the time that Jairus's beautiful little bundle of joy daughter was born because she was 12 years old. I I love the parallels here. They're astounding. You can just really make this compare and contrast between both of their lives. Jairus may have enjoyed the joy of his life for his little daughter for 12 years, while this woman endured the scourge of this awful condition for 12 years. 
I wonder if this was of divine appointment so Jairus could be taught a few things about this. Remember, Jairus was a somebody in society, and this woman was a nobody in society, and they might have lived in close proximity to each other. They might have gone to the same markets. And maybe if Jairus saw her and there was evidence of this, this condition, he might have walked way around her because he didn't want to take the chance as the leader of a synagogue to become unclean. I wonder if Jairus was irritated by the Lord's delay. Can we be like that sometimes? Have you been praying for something for a long time and the Lord gives somebody else a blessing ahead of you? And we're still waiting? Let me ask you a question, New Jersey. I'm speaking New Jerseyans now. This is for the New Jersey group. How do you feel when you're waiting for something? Or you're waiting in a long line in a store and you've been waiting there for like 45 minutes and you're just about up to the counter and somebody cuts the line. Do you think maybe... <laughs> do you think maybe your thoughts come out past your lips? Do you think maybe you have something to say to the line cutter? Not saying that's right, just saying. But can't we bring that into our Christian walk, that same type of attitude? Somebody gets blessed. Hey, I've been praying. Hey, I'm, I'm serving the Lord. Hey, I don't The Bible says that it rains on the good and the evil. And this can lead to anger, bitterness, jealousy, and even a, a time where we get mad at God. Lord, what's up with the line cutter? What about me? I've been faithful. Did you forget about me? 2,000 years ago, today... We're still people. We still go through the same things, don't we? Or maybe Jairus learned a lesson through all this. Maybe this woman's condition barred her from Jairus' synagogue. Think about that. Maybe it kept her outside the fellowship of God's people. Could it be that nobody ministered to her because they didn't want to take the chance of becoming ceremonially unclean? Do we ever step outside of our Christian bubble to minister to somebody who's hurting outside of our community, outside of our schedules. Let me tell you something. Time is precious to me. I've learned time management skills the hard way. And if you're really pressed and you're up against the wall, sometimes the Holy Spirit will provide an opportunity to see if you just put other things aside and minister to that person. Have we been coming here for 10 years and understanding and reading the word for 10 years and never acting on that? Was Jairus like that? I don't know. I don't know. You know, again, we can, we can leave here today and smile and, sh- hey, pastor, nice sermon. I learned a few things. Or we can actually get confronted face to face with what the scripture is saying and see how it affects our lives. Well, she touches his garments, and the Lord honors her. Again, maybe the whole thing was a little superstitious on her part, but the Lord met her where she was at. And I want to encourage you. If you're here this morning, and you say, well, I'm into some bad things. Well, I'm really struggling with this. Well, I don't really want to tell anybody, but I probably shouldn't be in church today. The Lord will meet you where you're at. Let the Lord's word change your heart. Romans 10, 17, it's regenerative. As you start to listen to it, you'll say, this is for me. This is for me. 
You know, at some point we will run into people that have a hodgepodge of different belief systems. Maybe there is some superstition. And, you know, sometimes I meet a person and they're, they're just throwing all these things at me. And I'm trying to be gentle. I don't want to dissuade them. Maybe I'll lovingly take out some of the things and say, no, this is really what the scripture says. I actually had an incident. I told this years ago. A friend of mine introduced me to, and this isn't his real name. His, his name was Johnny, but that's not his real name. And they actually called him Crazy Johnny. And he liked that name. And he was a real big football player, twice my size, twice my weight. And he had these big bare hands, big paws, mitts. And he wanted me to witness to him, so sure, I obliged. And I'm, I'm trying to talk to Crazy Johnny, and he keeps interrupting me. And, you know, he just keeps throwing. He's got Eastern mysticism. He's got cult teaching. He's throwing all this stuff at me. And I'm, I'm, in my spirit, I'm saying, I've got to correct this. So I got brave. And I said, listen, I've been listening to you for a long time. Now it's my turn. And I corrected him. He stopped, and he just stared at me. And in my mind, I thought, here's where I die. <laughs> He's going to rip my arm off and beat me with my own arm. He stopped, he smiled, and he said, thank you, Pastor. And he put one of those big gloves of a hand, and I shook his hand, and it got lost in his hand. And I thought to myself, I'm going to live for another day, praise the Lord. But we will be, we will run into folks that there's just... There's just so much stuff entangling them. And, you know, we have to be patient with people. And that's the way the Lord was. He didn't say, you didn't come to me the right way. There's no power in my clothes. It's, it's, it's me. It's, it's what I do. I'm God. The clothes mean nothing. And there will be people that will come in and to, they'll have religious ideas and they'll have um, denominational ideas and they'll be confused. And we just have to be patient with them and meet them where they're at. Now, next Sunday... I'm going to try to wrap everything up, make sense of it all. We're going to cover the last few verses, and then we're going to make some points. And it's going to be, I think, pretty neat. I threw out a lot of questions this morning, which I don't normally do. But it really was good conjecture. I really want you to understand that these people were real. And and I try to do that. And You talk about Jonah. Oh, Jonah and the fish. Jonah was a real person who struggled with what God had told him. He struggled with wanting to be obedient with the Lord, and so do we. And if we don't make that clear, we just think it's a big fish story, which it's not. There's a lot more to it. It's the same thing with these two. There was something the woman had to learn, and there was something that Jairus had to learn. And there's something, brothers and sisters, that we need to learn as we look at this. How does it affect us? You know, is there any conviction in here? Sometimes we need to step out of our step outside of ourselves and love both the somebodies and the nobodies. And there are even believers who, they still want to remain armchair Christians. I have to tell you something, that my wife and I, we had both become believers about the same time. We we got married, it was a, a young marriage, and we were struggling. And we used the word divorce a few times. <laughs> but I was told, serve the Lord. And my wife and I, for years, served in a food ministry given out food for the poor, and we didn't really even understand how that was going to affect us. Do you know that through the food ministry, we met an older couple who counseled us and helped us to straighten out some things about our marriage, and they, I can credit them largely for the reason why we have the tools to work through marriage today. But we serve the Lord. We are obedient. A lot of times, brothers and sisters, we don't realize why we're doing things. 
I would tell any couple that's struggling or would any relationship serve the Lord, honor God and God will honor you. Give him props. He deserves it. But we have to also consider. It's very important and, and some, sometimes people have all these preconceived ideas about the poor, the afflicted, the downtrodden. But we need to be sensitive to ministering to them. And then there's another whole section of society that, that hates the rich. The whole 99% versus the 1%. Listen, whether they're poor or rich, they're still human beings and they still need the gospel. In, in today's political climate, and I'm sad to say, there's a lot of lack of leadership. And everybody's getting pitted against each other. You see it in the news all the time. Black against white, women against men. They say that this is the time... <clears throat> The percentages of single people in, in 2014 are the highest it's ever been in the history of our nation since they've been calculating it. People don't know how to have relationships. And we go out there and we see somebody different from us, and right away we, we get a little fear or we get an edge or we build up a wall. Well, they have an accent. Well, they look a certain way. Well, they're not like me. Jesus took two people from the opposite ends of the, of the spectrum, loved them equally, and wouldn't it be something if when he healed Jairus' daughter and he healed the woman with the flow of blood, wouldn't it, check this out, that he's in a synagogue, Jairus is he's on fire again, he's preaching in a synagogue, he's preaching the gospel, and who's sitting in front of him in the women's section? His 12-year-old daughter and the woman who had the flow of blood, imagine that. Let me tell you something, I've seen that, I've seen that happen here. Not literally in that situation, but God does miracles. He really does. And if we don't believe that, and we discount him, he's going to move on to the next person. Because God is, 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 he just loves it when we believe that he can do great things. He can be concerned about the big things in our lives, and he can also be concerned about the little things in our lives. So I really want to encourage you with this. This isn't fantasy. This is real, and he's still doing miracles in 2014 in Jamesburg. Amen? Amen. All right. Some Christians will never experience that because their life is filled with self-focus. When we emulate Christ, it leads to fulfillment, joy, and peace. And the question is, will you be a part of what he's doing today? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, you, we read the scripture and it's just 